Uh, well, hope is a powerful motivator. The exhausted worker makes it through December because he's planning his big summer holiday. The retired granddad works hard at his knee replacement rehab because he's promised his grandsons he'll play golf with them again. A pregnant mother in labour pushes through the pain because of the promise of holding her new baby. Hope is a powerful motivator. Uh, Martin Luther King, uh, his speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in 1963 is a great example of hope uh, as being a powerful motivator. Here's some of what he said on that day. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. Uh, I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley will be engulfed, every hill shall be exalted and every mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plains and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I will go back to the south with. With this faith we will be able to hew out the mountain of despair, hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we'll be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to climb up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning my country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside let freedom ring. Wow, what a, what a wonderful vision of hope that powered a wave of change. It's still powering a wave of change. Uh, but here's another example. Uh, the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, what we call the Old Testament, it is full of hope. Uh, from the first pages to the last, promises from God that he will bring change, that the future will be better than the present. Uh, pictures of an ideal future where suffering and injustice are gone, where people live the way God planned, uh, a future that is in this world but also in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, no other world religion, cult or philosophy has anything like that sort of hope. This is a hope that's motivated Christians for centuries. Uh, Christians like Martin Luther King, uh, persecuted Christian minorities, martyrs, Christians who suffer, Christians who are the victims of injustice, Christians who take on impossible tasks to build God's kingdom on earth as well as just everyday Christians who live in a broken world. Hope, God's solid promise of a better future, 
promises of justice and relief that powers people to persevere through suffering and injustice. Uh, hope that we read about in Isaiah 49. Perhaps you can look at that side of your page firstly. Uh, we read about how God promises a servant who will come and display God's splendour. Verse 3. And in verse 5, this servant will bring Israel back to himself, a wandering Israel. But then verse 6, God is so great that having one nation as a project, that's too small a project. He will make his servant a light to the Gentiles and his servant will bring salvation to the ends of the earth. But especially, verse 8, for his people Israel, he promises that in the time of his favour he will answer them and help them. And verse 10 he will say, sorry, verse 9, he will say to the captives, come out, and to those who are in darkness, be free. And verse 10, they will neither hunger nor thirst, and he will have compassion on them and lead them beside springs of water. That's a very quick summary of some amazing promises. Uh, that motivated Israel's hope. Now, jump to the time of Simeon and Anna and Jesus. Uh, when Jesus was born, Israel really needed hope. They've been under foreign oppression for centuries. The Roman Empire was just the latest in a long line that had spanned 600 years. When Rome had invaded in 63 BC, they'd, they'd seized Jerusalem, they'd ransacked the temple, they'd killed priests, soldiers had entered the Holy of Holies. It was shameful and heartbreaking for the nation. Israel was in pain and they were hoping, longing for God to act. Israel, that included faithful Jews like Simeon and Anna, who were longing for God to keep his promises. And then Jesus was born. God's servant. God's servant of Isaiah 49, who fulfills all of God's promises. The one the people were hoping for. As the Christmas carol says, uh, describing Bethlehem, Jesus' birthplace, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in you tonight. Well, we pick up the story 40 days later after Jesus' birth. Verse 22, Joseph and Mary take Jesus to the temple to dedicate him to God. We're now on the other side of that page, the, the, the Luke 2 passage. Uh, verse 25, they meet Simeon. We're told he's righteous and devout, but notice what else. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, faithfully and patiently hoping waiting for relief from Israel's suffering. In other words, he was waiting for God to act. He was waiting for the Messiah. And what makes Simeon a little bit different from the other faithful Jews around him was that the Holy Spirit was on him. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. <laughs> Can you imagine that? You would be on the lookout, wouldn't you? You would wake up every morning and think, this could be the day. 
It could be today that I see God's servant. Now, this was Simeon's special mission, to be a watchman, to keep his eyes open for God's special saviour. And then one day, it happens. The Holy Spirit says, today's the day, go to the temple. Verse 27, we read, moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And he meets Mary and Joseph, and more importantly, he meets Jesus, and Simeon recognises something special. Look at verse 28, his reaction. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as, you've now, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Can you hear echoes of Isaiah 49 there? Salvation, light, revealed to Gentiles. Just like God had promised, and Simeon says, I can die happy. The event I've been waiting for has happened. What a joy, what, what a relief. God is faithful. He does deliver on his promises. This is his answer. And look at what he calls Jesus. He says, my eyes have seen God's salvation. Salvation personified. Now that's actually what Jesus, the name means. Yeshua in Hebrew, Yahweh saves. But it's not just relief for Simeon. This is relief for Israel. But not even just for Israel. Did you notice verse 31 and 32? This is the part I think that really excites Simeon. Verse 31, God's plans have been presented before all people. This Messiah is a saviour for everyone. And verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory and glory to your people Israel. Now that's just what Isaiah had predicted centuries earlier. Isaiah 49 verse 6. It's too small a thing to be, uh, to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Now that is great news for you and me, isn't it? Because pretty much if you run a line from Israel right through the very centre of the earth, do you know where you come out? Australia. <laughs> uh, we are Gentiles, we are non-Jews at the ends of the earth from Jerusalem. Jesus has come for us, a light and a saviour for us. Now that is all a very big job for this little baby that Simeon holds in his arms, isn't it? It's pretty amazing news for Mary and Joseph too. Verse 33, we're told they marvelled at what was said. <laughs> After all that had happened to them in the previous six, nine months, here was one more surprise. God's plans even include the Gentiles. And somehow this baby would be the centre of all his plans. But as Simeon turns to Mary, he has some words for her as well. Here we get some dark clouds about what's in store. Because Jesus' arrival won't be great news for everyone. He will be the cause of division. 
Some will think his arrival is good news, but others, bad news. Look at verse 34. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. In other words, there's heartbreak ahead for Mary. Her son will cause major division. Some will fall and some will rise. As Jesus the Saviour comes in judgment, some will be condemned but others will be saved. You see, not everyone wants the creator of the universe calling people to repent, to account, to set things right. Now, Simeon's words, they rang true in Jesus' earthly life. People sorted themselves into two groups, those who recognised Jesus as God's saviour and those who rejected him. Those two groups were there at the foot of the cross. Mary and her friends, heartbroken, off to the side, watching the horror, while the rest of the crowd shout for his blood. The name of Jesus causes exactly those same two groups to form today. In Jerusalem, in the world, in Australia, in our local community, in the media, maybe even in your own family. There are two sides. There are those who recognise Jesus and who he raises up, who he saves, and there are those who reject Jesus and who Jesus will bring down. They will receive judgment from him. And so the obvious question with Simeon's words are, which side of this division will you be on? Are you someone who recognises your need for a saviour? that you need Jesus? Or are you someone who thinks that you don't need a saviour, that you're fine? Because Jesus will raise up the first group and he will bring down the second. This is the division that Jesus causes. Which side are you on? Well, back in that day, uh, back in the temple with the, the, the Jesus only six weeks old, that was all still ahead. But verse 36, we meet someone else. Simeon is delivering his speech when they are joined by Anna. Just like Simeon, she was a prophet. And just like Simeon, she was waiting for the Messiah. She was hoping. Verse 37, she was a widow for more than 60 years. She had no other commitments, no kids, no grandkids from what we can tell. She spent her time in the best way she knew how. If the temple was open, she was there. Worshipping night and day, fasting and praying, expectantly hoping for God to act, for his saviour to arrive. And so when he arrives, she was ready. She recognised him and when she saw him, she was overjoyed. She gave thanks to God. And verse 38, she shared with anyone who would listen. Did you notice? She shared to those, to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the one who'll do it, she says. He's the one who'll save us, who'll redeem us. This is the one she'd been hoping for. 
All those years she'd been coming to the temple to worship God, waiting for God to send the one who would rescue. Hope is a powerful motivator. And so Joseph and Mary finished their business in the temple. It's been an amazing day, another amazing day. Two more witnesses. There's no angels, no dreams, nothing extraordinary, really, but two faithful, aged, hopeful, committed lovers of God who are motivated by their hope in God's promises, who rejoiced to see his plans come together, who give Mary and Joseph more food for thought, more insight into what God is doing in his son Jesus. So what can we learn from Simeon and Anna? Well, it's different for us, isn't it? Uh, We don't have to wait for the Saviour to come. Jesus has come, but he will come back. Uh, He will come back as judge and king. And so we are waiting for that, for Jesus to return. The Christian walk is a walk of hope. We are people of hope, expectation. We live in the now and the not yet. We've been saved, but we're still waiting for salvation. We've been set free from sin and death and suffering, but we still sin and die and suffer. We are people of hope. We can learn from Simeon and Anna's patient, determined, active, waiting on God. Hope that is guided and strengthened by God's promises. God's wonderful, attractive vision of eternity that it is pure and good and just. That will fuel our hope. Wouldn't it be great if we could be single-minded and focused like Anna, to not be distracted by life? How can we do that? Well, I don't think the solution is that we just have the doors of church open. I'm not sure how many of you would be here whenever the doors are open. I suspect not many. Life is complicated. There is lots for us to do. But where do we hear God's promises? We we hear them in his words, don't we? Uh, We don't need to be in a building every day uh, worshipping, but we need to be regularly in his word. Perhaps even, well, daily in his word. We need to make time to hear God speak, to hear his promises, to have his promises wash over us. That time needs to be regular and not rushed and a priority. Listening to him speak and then speaking to him in prayer. I talk about this with people and a lot of you say you struggle to find a regular time to do this. I haven't asked you to be brutally honest with me but I suspect many of you wouldn't open your Bible from one week to the next. Because, well, life's busy. No one would say it's a bad thing to do, but you would just say life gets in the way of hearing God's promises. Can you imagine that day at the temple, how many people were rushing around doing important things, sacrifices to offer, business to conduct, legal verdicts to judge? How many people noticed Anna? Did they see a useless widow 
same spot, she's just there every day, got nothing better to do. And yet, as we look back on it, there was no one that day who was doing anything more important than Anna. Praying for God's saviour. And so she was ready. On the surface, she seemed to be wasting her day. The reality was this was the most important work of anyone. And when we focus ourselves on God and on his word and on prayer, as we shape ourselves by, as we are shaped by his priorities and his ways and his thoughts, we are doing the most important thing we can be doing. December 31, great time to start making New Year's resolutions. Why not make it your New Year's resolution this year to spend more time with God? Get organised, get disciplined. Carve out a time of the day that is just for you and God. Make it a priority. First thing in the morning, set an alarm. There you go, that would show it's a priority. Or maybe first thing when you sit down at your desk. Or why not turn off the TV half an hour early each night and read your Bible instead? Or your lunch hour. If if your lunchbox is open, your Bible's open. Yeah, put some things in place. Do you ever wonder why you struggle in the Christian life for motivation or enthusiasm or commitment or resilience? Maybe because God's promises are not regularly in front of you and so your hope is not solid and fuelled and motivated. Hope is a powerful motivator. Hope that waits for God rather than trying to solve our problems ourselves. Hope that will face difficulties cheerfully because you know that God promises to work all things for good. Hope that will pray for God's priorities from his word rather than for what you want. Hope in God. Pray with faith. Be like Simeon and Anna. As Romans 15, 13 says, this is my prayer for us all. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.